This podcast is brain powered by the University of Sydney. We are controlled by Dr. Carl and Adam Spencer. Hey, welcome to the Sleek Geeks podcast. I'm Adam Spencer. One, I won't say one half, I'm one of the two Sleek Geeks because I don't like to apportion fractions to us, Carl, mm. but you're the other one of the two sleek yeah, geeks. Yeah, the, the two is half of four, and four is such a gorgeous number. Well, I was going to say the show brought to us by the number four. I mentioned it really? in my in my big book of numbers. Really? Have you written a book? Yeah, I have. What's it called? Um, I'll just have a look on the cover of it here. Yeah? It's called Adam Spencer's Big Book of Numbers. How would I get one? You're best to go to shops at the moment, Carl. They sold out through my website. No. They're available in shops as we speak. Ah. Uh, but four I mentioned in my big book of numbers. Mm. First number I ever fell in love with. Oh. Four, because I, 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 I realised exactly what you just said then. Two twos are four. But also two by two is four. Isn't that, what the heck is going on, That's man? where your whole squares begin. Yeah. One doubles to two, doubles to four. You can keep doubling eight, 16, 32. First time I realised numbers were infinite came from four. But anyway, anyway, outside of our work with the Sleek Geeks, you do a bit of your own stuff. Uh, you do a lot of stuff, uh, great moments in science, ABC Radio, etc. Mm. I wanted to bring you to a post you did recently that went absolutely gangbusters. You put some stuff out there about coconut water, which is all the rage at the moment, mm. and got an amazing response. Let's talk coconut water. Well, yes, it's claimed to fix up everything from sunstroke to syphilis, varicose veins, improve your handwriting, beautify your skin and make your hair able to luxuriantly flow in slow-mo as you walk through the park. Oh, you just got my attention there when you talked hair. What (laughs) what is coconut water? Okay, um, in the societies that deal with coconuts, they describe it in six different stages. For us, let's just say, when you get a coconut to seven months of age, Mm -hmm. that's when it has the maximum amount of liquid inside Mm-hmm. relative to the weight, and that stuff is called coconut water. It's a mostly clear, quite delicious liquid. It's become very trendy lately for people to come home with a coconut that's had the, uh, the outer husk taken off it, and there's normally a, a sort of hole already cut mm. in, in where the, t- the, the top sort of bit is sitting the on. Eyes, the three eyes, the two little, the one, two little ones and the one big one, yeah. You p- poke that out, and then with a, a straw or something, you can drink the water Inside, And it's um, endorsed by celebrities from Lara Bingle to Madonna, who has, by the way, invested millions in it. Oh, really? There you go. Mm. It, it tastes... It, I've, I don't really rate it, but I've had a mouthful oh, of it. So it's fun. Tastes all right? Yeah, I, I like it. But when it was introduced in, for the first time in the USA as a superfood in the early 2000s... Superfood. Superfood. Love the phrase. Yeah, it was claimed to have the power to fight kidney disease, osteoporosis and viruses. All at the one time. All, and and nice. as soon as the dietitians, medical doctors and infectious diseases officers got involved, they said, oh, sorry, we didn't mean that. What we meant was it tastes nice, please buy some. (laughs) It's pretty rich in potassium and also contains a few other minerals, but however, banana and potato contain just as much potassium. When is potato going to be endorsed by celebrities as the next superfood? That's what I want to know. So you're saying nutritionally... Coconut water's reasonably similar to bananas? Yeah, it's just got potassium. And then they're pushing it as a rehydration liquid. Mm -hmm. And for the average person doing a little bit of walking around and running, it is, in fact, no better than tap water. However, what about the athlete, the people who push themselves so hard, Mm. they are losing huge amounts of sodium. Well, the trouble is that there, coconut water does not have enough sodium, so it's not a good rehydrating liquid. If they drink enough to try to get enough sodium in, very quickly they realise that, in fact, coconut water has a 
mild laxative effect, and so they dehydrate even more from the ah. diarrhoea that they get. We've spoken about this before in the whole general field of sports drinks. There's a lot of those green and purple and red sports drinks mm-hmm. that, that, that are marketed, and people will often, you'll see them sipping them when they're going on what would be at best a, a moderate-paced moderate. walk. Now, mm-hmm. from what I understand with those things, with the electrolytes and everything in them, if you are like playing competitive football on the weekend and driving yourself really and hard. And 20 kilometres in an afternoon, yes. Then throwing one of those down at half-time possibly does Is essential. replenish you faster than just water. Oh, yeah, and replaces the sodium. But for most people, even if you're at the gym on a walking machine or mm. doing some stairs or something, no. you'd be better off drinking the water because there's so much energy in the energy drink you're going to have undone the benefit, energy in versus energy out of, of the exercise you've done. That's correct? Correct. You, in other words, um, for the average person, totally useless. What you said is 100% correct. Okay, back on to coconut water. So as a rehydrant, as a sports drink, not great. Early medical claims about kidneys and the like, they all were... All withdrawn, all withdrawn. But then they thought, oh, well, we've still got the coconut oil. Phase three. And so then you've got it being endorsed by people from Olympic champions to movie stars such as Angelina Jolie. Mm. Once again, it's supposed to control sugar cravings, relieve stress, boost your immunity. Zero compelling evidence. And the odd thing about it is that it's actually incredibly rich in saturated fats. Now, let's just stop for a minute here. At the moment, the overwhelming opinion of the medical doctors, cardiologists and dietitians, etc., is that a bit of saturated fat is no big deal, but we already in Western society have too much anyway, on average. Why have an oil that, besides being twice the cost of olive oil, is about 91% um, saturated fat as compared to olive oil, which is only 14%. It's a complete marketing con. And the way that the celebrities get around this is by saying, oh, oh well, well, okay, in that case, all of medical science is wrong. And saturated <laughs> fats are good for you. Right, solve that one. Thank God for that. And then they say, oh, but here's proof. You can store the coconut oil in your cupboard for two years. And it won't go off. That's because it's got saturated fats in it, and you go through the biochemistry, it won't go off. And so they're just clutching at straws. So a little bit of saturated fats. Look, I love a bit of butter on the scones that my daughter makes. However, too many saturated fats, overwhelmingly bad by everybody from the United States Food and Drug Administration, World Health Organization, American Heart Association. Tiny, tiny minority view that saturated fats are good for you. But this is, as of 2014, 15, 16, a minority, minority view. Okay, so is there anything left on the list of claims of coconut water slash oil miracle health benefits? Any, 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 anything that's looking good for the coconut? At this I point? haven't seen a debunking of the fact that it'll make your hair luxuriantly grow long and move in slow motion as you walk through the park. That one is still undebunked. Okay, but apart from that, not looking great for coconut water? No, and then we'll get some hate mail because of that. By, and people will quote, as they did when we did this on the ABC, they will quote a YouTube video as proof that I'm wrong, as opposed to peer-reviewed scientific medical literature. I'd love some hate mail from Angelina Jolie. That'd be awesome. If you're listening, Angelina, just... You're on the Sleek Geeks with Adam and Carl. Let's continue down the nutritional track, Carl. Uh, you've also recently done some stuff on the paleo. You think you think coconut water is hip at the moment, Joe? The paleo diet is big, isn't it? The idea behind the paleo diet. We've got to, you know we're just we're poisoning ourselves with modern food. Mm-hmm. Let's get back to the way our cavemen and cavewomen ancestors ate. Just eat lots of meat and fresh vegetables and a bit of. 
dinosaur. Yeah, and we'll should point out we didn't live at the same time as the dinosaurs. dinosaurs. I know that. Yeah. Don't write to me about that, Angelina Jolie. And we'll instantly turn from a pot-bellied, balding person hunched in front of a computer monitor into somebody were walking around with clutching a spear with a trim gut and wearing a cute fur bikini. Mm, very big at the moment, the paleo diet. What are your thoughts? Start off by a guy back in the 1970s who said that we were basically carnivores. Wrong. And that our paleolithic ancestors ate carnivore food. Only wrong. And then reinvented in the 85s. And then well, it does have good stuff. Like it says, have grass-fed, pasteurised, oh, sorry, pasteurised meat and poultry. Nothing wrong with that. Seafood. Nothing wrong with that. Um, fruit, green veggies, eggs, nuts, roots and fungi. Love that. They're, they're all part of a healthy diet. Yeah, yeah. And then excludes dairy. Look, I love a bit of butter every now and then, a bit of yogurt. Grains, legumes, potatoes and processed oil. Come on, I love olive oil. Okay, four things wrong with a so, paleo diet. So right? what, yeah. what it's doing with that last bit is ruling yeah. out a lot of your carbohydrate, which is one standard way in a sort of crash diet of losing a bit of weight, yeah? Yeah, which is sort of crazy. Oh, by the way, what works really well is losing about half a kilo where you can do that long term. Mm-hmm. Okay, so problem number one, there wasn't just one paleo diet because there were so many different people around the world, some living in the tropics, some living in the Arctic areas. They all ate different foods. De- 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 determined by what they had immediate access to given their climate, geography, etc. Yeah, right. And so even today, the people in the Arctic get 99% of their calories from meat while the... Do you, I'm going to do the... Kung, that's for exclamation mark, Kung people of Africa, they get 12%. They're both on the paleo diet, but one's 99%, one's 12%. Oh, okay. So the suggestion that all cavemen, and I use that in the gender-inclusive sense, all cavemen ate overwhelmingly meat yeah. with just a tiny bit of grass to wash it down, that that's false. That, that is in false. Um, and, and in fact, we have found out by looking at the teeth of people 30,000 years ago that some of them did eat the grains and the legumes, so much so that there were very typical wear marks. Number two problem is they say, well, the trouble with us humans is that we couldn't possibly have evolved fast enough in the last 10,000 years that we've had agriculture wrong again. In the last 1,000 years, about one-third of us have evolved to be able to drink milk as adults, whereas two-thirds are still lactose intolerant, as you call it. Mm-hmm. And we've had other evolutions in, in the colour of hair and with people living at high altitudes. We've got three separate, separate evolutionary changes that have happened in the last 3,000 years for people to be able to live at high altitudes. So we can evolve fast enough. They're wrong on that. Mm-hmm. Third thing they're wrong on is eat what our ancestors ate. Damn hard. It just ain't around no more. Closest you can get in terms of meat is kangaroo, and that's about it. Um, like you think about corn, like, you know, corn is a big thing, like about the size of your you know, diamond of your wrist. Corn hasn't changed, has it? 2,000 years ago, 1,000 years ago, corn was something the diameter of a cigarette. Oh, really? And we've evolved it that quickly. Hasn't corn been working yeah. out? And fourth, the nutrition. Are you just on, just on, the, yeah. on that third point, so you're saying the meat we eat. So if I eat a lot of cow, I'm vegetarian, I wouldn't, mm. but if I eat lots of cow today, mm. I'm not following the paleo principle of eating meat like my 20,000-year-ago ancestor did. Because it has what the Americans love to call the marbled fat. It's just a very different animal. What you'd have to do would be to get a cow, let it run loose for a couple of generations, and then, wearing your fur bikini and carrying a spear, run out, chase it, kill it, (laughs) and then eat it. That would be the sort of meat that was around a couple of thousand years ago. Or a kangaroo. Or if I went to go hunting small corn like that, I'd have to put my fur bikini on (laughs) 
and go and pick some small corn. Yeah, and then finally the nutritional value. Um, the, by the way, the word dietitian is protected. You need to do a four-year university course mm-hmm. as opposed to nutritionist. Anybody can call themselves that. So the dietitians around the world have a competition and they've had this for the last five years. And out of the 30 or so diets that come and go, the paleo diet is either bottom or second bottom for the last five years. Wow, really? It is as bad as you can get. Um, It it just has the wrong mix of foods. And so it's a crazy thing that works for a little while. And why does it work? Because in your gut, you've got bacteria, and the bacteria are used to eating something. And if you give them something different, they'll go, hello, hello, can't get all the nutritional value out of this that I normally can. And then they switch over. And after a couple of weeks, they have. And that time, you've lost a few kilos. And you think, wow, this paleo diet is really good. Mm. They lied to you. Although some of it is good. You know, there's nothing wrong with fruit and veggies. What's up? Twitter time. Yeah! Come on! Twitter! Favourite part of the Sleek Geeks podcast, that little sting. I love it. Got a question. We always ask people to send us questions at Sleek Geeks on Twitter. We'll answer the questions if we possibly can. Got a great Twitter question here from Richard Dawkins. Wow. You know Richard Mr. Dawkins? Mr. Evolution. Yeah. Um, DNA. What was his very... Coined the phrase, the selfish gene. This one, yeah. All that sort of stuff. He gets a lot of stuff. He's a great believer in rationalism and humanism at the moment. Speaks mm. out on behalf of atheists around the world. He's asked a question. Oh, I should strictly point out he didn't say, Dear Slate Geeks, please, can someone... Can you help me with this? He just put this question generically on Twitter to anyone, but mm-hmm. I, I happen to see it. So here's your answer, Richard. Is it Bernoulli's force, is Richard? Richard asks, Richard from England asks, is it Bernoulli's force that pulls the shower curtain to you and wraps you in clammy embrace? Is this the force that lofts a thousand 747s? Now, that's Richard's question. Mm-hmm. Let's go back a step, first of all, before we do Bernoulli's force. Mm-hmm. The Bernoullis. How awesome were the Bernoulli? And this family. Thing, yeah. They, they, they were artists and painters and sculptors and scientists. And if you go to Florence today, they still have a shop selling eyeglasses. And one day I want to go into that shop. Back in the sort of sixteen uh, late 1600s, you had Jacob Bernoulli, after whom the, Jacob. Ben, the Bernoulli numbers are named, a very deep part. Hang on, he's different from Daniel Bernoulli? Yeah, yeah, very different. Very deep part of mathematical um, number theory, the Bernoulli numbers. He was sort of the progenitor of them all. Then you've got Nicholas, uh, Johan, a, Nicholas, a, a string of Nicholases. Oh, mate, Nicholas Bernoulli was a painter and alderman of Basel. Then there's a series of Nicholas math, um, Bernoullis who were mathematicians who worked on curves and the early calculus stuff. Then you've got your Daniel Daniel, he's a Bernoulli. And then a string of Johann II and Johann III, who were all mathematicians, physicists, who did some incredible stuff. Wow. Let's go to the Bernoulli effect, as it's called. Which I can demonstrate with a sheet of paper. What, well, here's a sheet oh, of paper right paper. here. What is okay. the Bernoulli effect? Now, firstly, what I'm going to do with holding this sheet of paper at right angles to the camera pointing at me yep. is blow on the bottom side of the paper. Sure. I'm holding this sheet of paper vertically. Yep. I'm suspending it at the top two corners. And if I blow it you know, halfway in the middle of the page, tell me what happens. Yeah, you blow it, it moves away. I blow... Onto the paper and it moves away from me, doesn't yeah, it? Sure. Yeah, Okay, now I'm going to try it. Pretty obvious. Okay, here we go, getting a big breath. Now I'm going to blow over the top of the paper. So I'm getting the paper, I'm giving it a little bit of a curve at the top. Yep. I'm holding it just immediately underneath. It's almost the touching your bottom lip. Yep. Yeah, just touching my And then I'm going to blow over the top of it, right? Yep. Here we go. It, it came up. It came up with a questioning and a bit of amazement in yours. It came up. Yes. How come it came up? Daniel was the guy who worked that out. Those Bernoullis, they were hot dudes. So he realised that if you've got a moving airstream 
or any fluid at all. You've got to really pump it out harder. Harder. You've got to to pump it. That's right. You've got to get that impact, right? So he realised that if you've got a moving airstream, a moving fluid, which counts water and air, so a liquid or a gas, if you've got a moving fluid, imagine sort of going through and it's going up and over a hill and down a valley and up and around. He says it always has the same amount of energy. But the amount of energy, depending on where it is and how fast it's moving, gets reapportioned mm-hmm. inside. So it might have so many 100 units of energy, but sometimes it's got 80 units of kinetic energy. And a little bit later, it might have 80 units of gravitational energy because you've pushed up a hill. And it always gets reapportioned. They stay in, but the total stays in sync. The, yep. the total stays the same. So when I'm, uh, this air's coming out of my mouth, it's got the same amount of energy. I blow over the top of the paper. I'm now pushing it out fast. You've got to push it fast. And therefore, it's got more kinetic energy. What's being lost? Pressure energy. There's less pressure on the top, more underneath. And so magically, the piece of paper lifts up. It moves from the area of high pressure up to fill in where the lower pressure is. Yeah, the surrounding area. That's it. So it, the air over the top has high velocity energy. It has low pressure energy, low pressure on top of the paper, more pressure underneath, and it lifts up. And Daniel realised this. OK, so now I hop in a shower, and they didn't have showers back in Daniel's day, I hop in the shower, I turn on a nice warm shower, I've got a shower curtain because I'm very modest, Carl, you know me, I'm washing away, and suddenly the shower curtain starts to come towards me. And wrap around you. What's happening there? Because you've got the... the, the... Ah. Okay, number one, these simple things are not that easy. Almost certainly it is not just simply the Bernoulli effect. It is almost certainly that, plus a bit more of this and a bit bit more of that, et cetera, et cetera. What role do we think the Bernoulli effect plays in the shower curtain? Probably most of it. Probably most, right? So the air, the water droplets are falling down and they're a bit sticky, they have a bit of friction, they drag some air with them, so air is being dragged down. So across the front of the shower curtain, air is moving. Because the air is moving, it's got more velocity energy, therefore it has less pressure energy. And therefore the normal pressure behind it pushes it towards you and wraps its sticky self around your body. So if I was measuring the air pressure either side of the shower curtain Mm -hmm. while the shower is running, Mm -hmm. I'd be measuring lower pressure the human side, the water side of the shower curtain than on the rest of the bathroom side, would I? Presumably. That experiment may or may not have been done, but I have done the experiment with a candle, which is tricky to keep going in a shower. I would have said, yes. Yeah, they tend to go out. So, but, but what you can do is... Ah, the concept. life of a scientist. So you're in the shower with a candle... Sometimes I take cocktails in there with me, but that's another story. The water's so, running. The water's running. And so you, you move the candle around the place, and then suddenly you can see that the candle flame bends towards. It bends horizontally, parallel to the ground. It bends towards the falling water, and the shower curtain is moving towards it. And yes, I did put a hole in the shower curtain. Okay, so, so the fact that when you hold a candle, you see the flame tilt away from the shower curtain... Towards where the water is running, that shows that there's decreased pressure and the... Okay. Yeah. So it's an imperfect experiment and almost certainly there are other effects involved on top of it, but that's a mark one answer. I've read that some people think it's to do with the warmth of the water. You're having a hot shower, but even if you do it with a completely cold shower the effect will still happen. The shower curtain will still come across. I'm I'm proud of saying that I have had a cold shower and I explored the effect and the effects were virtually the same within experimental error and I got cold and I had the goosebumps to prove it. Did I get an Ig Nobel Prize for this? No. Or get published in the BMJ? No, but still, I'll, I'll I'll rise above that. And thankfully, we didn't start videoing our Sleek Geek discussions until after you had done the experiment in the shower. For that, we can be truly thankful. Yes. 
But Carl, let me ask one further question then. It was contained in uh, young Richard's question. Very mm-hmm. good question, young Richard. He should stick oh, out this science l- thing. I love, love Dickie's work. Is this the same force that gets aeroplanes off the ground? Now, is this to do with the wing of a plane? As the plane's flying forward, the wing is mm-hmm. curved yeah, towards the top, yeah. flat on the bottom. So my understanding has always been as that wing pushes through the air, air travelling over the top of the wing has to go further than air travelling under the wing before they meet up again at the back. So it has to go a bit mm-hmm. faster. Therefore, there's lower air pressure above the wing than below. That drives the plane to rise or stay at its height. Is that vaguely what's going on? That's what I thought until I started bringing this up in the tea room at physics. Ah, oh. Did I get put in my place? What did they say in the tea room at physics? Let's go to the tea room right now. Well, Carl, how do the air molecules know that they have to meet up at the back end of the wing? Mm. Bugger if I know. <laughs> <laughs> and they say, then they said, hey, Carl, how come a, a high-performance plane can fly upside down? Yeah, all right. <laughs> Bugger if I know. So, yes, that's part of it, that you do have the air going faster over the top of the wing, and therefore it has lower pressure. Thank you very much. One of the many fabulous Bernoullis. The other part of it is the cutter. Junkowski effect. Look it up in Wikipedia and give yourself an hour to read it. K-U-T-T-A, Junkowski, however you spell that. And that's to do with sort of friction and dragging air molecules along with me. And But more importantly is angle of attack. An aeroplane actually flies with a slight head-up altitude, about a degree or two or three. And so you can also have the flappy things down at the back of the wings. And so the air comes along, hits the flappy thing, and then bingo, it, it gets deflected down, the airplane gets deflected up. So the Bernoulli is part of it, a strong part of it, but there's also these other factors as well. You want to become an aeronautical engineer, put aside two, th- two years of your life. Okay. Thank you very much, Richard. Great question. If you want to ask us questions at Sleek Geeks, at Sleek Geeks on Twitter is the place to send that question. Got one more quick Twitter question here uh, from Bowling Crony. Mm-hmm. Carl Bowling Crony asks the Sleek Geeks, why is it when you can't find something, it's always in the last place you look? I've got a great answer for this. It's very obvious. I think your answer might be right. Because you don't keep looking once you've found it. Unless you're really obsessive and you think there might be another one in a parallel universe. If you want to, if you want to stop things mm. always being in the last place you look, simply continue to search for a few minutes after you found them. What do you do with the thing you found? You keep it. You've already found it. We just look in a few other places, then say, I found my keys. They were in the fourth last place that I looked. And did you know that I found some dust balls over in this corner? (laughs) Thank (laughs) you, Bowling Crony. Send those questions to At Sleek Geeks. You're with Adam Spencer and Dr. Carl. Thanks for listening. Thank you, guys. Sleek Geeks.